Hi, my name is Melissa Urban, and you're listening to Do The Thing, a podcast where we explore what's been missing every time you've tried to make a change and make it stick. Today, my guest is Tiffany Aliche, also known as the Budget Nista. Tiffany specializes in empowering women to create, implement, and automate their personalized financial freedom plan. Today, we'll discuss why we have such a hard time talking about money, why your singular focus on getting debt-free isn't serving you, the strategy she used to get out of debt, and why your partner needs you to be a paper towel person when it comes to talking about money. The budget nista, pronouns she, her, is one of America's favorite personal financial educators. She's the Amazon number one best-selling author of the One Week Budget and Live Richer Challenge and a sought-after speaker of financial empowerment. Since 2014, the Budget Nista's Live Richer Challenge movement has helped more than 700,000 women by inspiring and empowering them to achieve their financial goals. One thing about Tiffany that I think is really cool is that she recently helped to write the Budget Nista Law in her home state of New Jersey, making it mandatory for middle school children to learn financial literacy. Okay, Tiffany Aliche, the Budget Nista, welcome to Do The Thing. I am so excited to have you on the show today. I am too, Melissa. I wish you could see me. I'm doing like jazz hands, like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> when I asked my audience what they wanted me to talk about in this podcast, money was one of the most requested subjects. So I knew I had to have you on. At the beginning of every episode, I ask all of my guests, Tiffany, what's your thing? My thing is education. There is something about teaching people something that they did not know before or a new perspective that just has always moved me. I used to teach my teddy bears when I was like three and four. And then um, once I realized that they weren't real, I started bossing around my sisters. I have four of them. And then um, I just always have been someone that once I know something or figure it out, I literally cannot hold it to myself. So my thing is definitely teaching. In fact, you credit your financial literacy to your parents who talk to you about money from a very, very young age. What specifically did your parents talk to you about? So yeah, especially my dad. My dad was more like, I would say like the, the educator, I guess the more traditional sense. I can remember my first financial lesson that I can really remember. I was wanting a bike for my birthday. And my dad was doing the bills at the dining room table, which kids, it's not the best time to ask for something while you're <laughs> doing the bills. <laughs> and so he was like, sure, you want a bike? Great. Then you have to help me pay some bills. And what he meant was he wanted me to add up the family's bills and subtract it from what he and my mom took home. And at the time, I didn't know if they made a lot or little because I think it was like nine and so I didn't really have the concept of that, but I did know less and more. And so I realized like, wow, there's this big, long number. And now that I've subtracted the bills, the number's not big and long anymore. And so what does that mean for me and my my bike, what I wanted? And so he told me some of that money could be for for my bike and some had to be saved and invested and spent on my sisters. And so it was kind of like the first lesson that my dad taught me. And he always taught lessons like that. And my mom was really practical in her application. Like she would literally go food shopping with us. Like we would go food shopping and it wasn't necessarily that she would say, here's how you food shop. We would just watch as she negotiated and made choices because we were a family of seven, five girls and my parents. And so as I watched her negotiate in real life, 
those were real life lessons that, you know, were age appropriate, but also just stuck with me that were long lasting. Like I said, budgeting, savings, debt, what did that mean? Credit, what did that mean? So yeah, it was just, uh, I, I'm fortunate in the way I grew up. It could not be farther from the way I grew up, <laughs> which is we didn't talk about money at all. Like I knew that my dad worked two jobs so my mom could stay home with us. I kind of had this idea that they lived relatively debt-free because I knew that they paid off their credit card at the end of every month. And occasionally I would ask for things like a Happy Meal or the new like white Nikes with the red swoosh. Yeah. <laughs> and my mom would say, you know, we can't afford that this month. And, and I knew that she meant it. She wasn't just saying it to say no, but they never talked to me about budgeting. They never talked to me about credit cards. They never talked to me about debt or credit score. So at 18, I found myself a freshman in college with like no job and three credit cards. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because that's how it goes. Yeah, that is how it goes. Why are we historically or even now, why are we not talking to our family about money? I feel like the consensus is that it is somehow inappropriate to talk to children about money. But I think like it's inappropriate not to. So the family folklore is, I, I don't remember this, but apparently when I was four, I used to love to turn on like water around the house. So like, you know, feng shui is a thing. I was totally feng shui back in the 80s. <laughs> so I would go from bathroom to bathroom, which we only had like two, but we would, I would turn on the water because I love to hear the sound. And my father was trying to figure out how do I get Tiffany to stop wasting water and doing this because I would have like a meltdown. If you, I don't know if you have kids or a toddler, but uh, you know, yeah. they're like unreasonable. Yeah. And so I would have a meltdown if they turned off the water. But I did know about ice cream in the summertime and that we would take turns on your ice cream day. So Tuesday was my day because I'm the second born. So Monday was Karen, uh -huh. Tuesday was me. And I knew that, you know, every morning my dad would say, you know, Tiffany, today's Tuesday. So today's your ice cream day. And when the ice cream man comes, you can, you're allowed to come back in the house and ask for your dollar. And so this is, like I said, family folklore because I don't remember. But apparently it was my ice cream day, same day that I'm running the water as usual. I come in and my dad pats his pockets and say, oh, you just missed the water man. And I was like, okay, nobody cares because where's my ice cream money? And he said, no, I had to give the water man your dollar because every time you turn on the water, that's how much it costs. And of course I had a royal meltdown. <laughs> But what a great lesson. He said, I never yeah. ran the water again. <laughs> and so there are age appropriate ways to teach our children. And I think that's the reason why people don't is because one, they think it's not appropriate. They don't want to worry their child. And two, they don't know how. That's so true. And I love that your dad turned it into a lesson that like really hit home. Yeah. Even to this day, I'm like, I'm not quite yeah. comfortable with the water running <laughs> too long. That's three ice creams or that's two purses <laughs> worth of water. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I've also done a lot of reading on the disparity between the way we talk to our sons about money and the way we talk to our daughters about money. So boys are encouraged to invest and grow their money. Yep. Girls are encouraged to save. And I know that you focus a lot of your financial advice on helping women attain financial freedom. Why have you chosen to focus specifically on that population? Well, in the beginning, I definitely was like, budget is set for everybody, you know, but I realized very quickly that it was women that, that were listening. I realized that there weren't that many women talking about finances. And so when women found someone, they were like, oh my gosh. And then I had read the study and in the study, um, Prudential found that women make up to 70% 
of the financial choices in a household. Seven zero. So for example, mm-hmm. you said your mom stayed home, right? Yeah. So even though your mom stayed home and maybe she didn't bring an income in, she was still making most of the financial choices. She decided where you were going to food shop. She likely picked out the car. She was the one who decided what clothes you guys were going to wear. So even if a woman is not necessarily bringing in income, she is still responsible for most of the financial choices. And when I read that study in the beginning, when I first started the Budget Nista, I realized, wow, I really do need to lean into women. If I want to help families, neighborhoods, community, and shift culture forward, you have to do it through their women as it relates to finance. Yes, that is so true. I I heard you mention that on another interview, gave the 70% figure. I also just read a really interesting article on Fast Company about all of the ways that we are like mansplained how to budget our money and spend our money. Like women are far more likely to get the advice, oh, you should just cut back on lattes, (laughs) which is not particularly practical. It's not particularly useful. It's a little bit sexist, to be honest. And like, why aren't you telling me about very practical hands-on solutions, not just to save money, but to grow my wealth. And I know that's something you focus on a lot. Yes. And even that, honestly, it took a long time for me to come to that that realization that you should focus on wealth. I can remember like following all the rules and doing everything my parents said. And at some point, like I really started saving money at nauseam. And you know, it was when I really started reading those financial books geared toward women, you know, like that financial advice that you mentioned. And it was, don't get your nails done. Don't get your hair done you know, save, save, Mm -hmm. save. And so I did to the point where my parents asked me to come to the house and sit down with them. And they were like, is everything okay? You look crazy. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, you are not taking care of yourself. Like your clothes are in tatters. Like they thought that I, because I'd moved out, my sister and I moved out and they thought that the rent and like the bills, because I was a school teacher, they thought it was taking a toll and I couldn't afford to keep myself up. (laughs) Meanwhile, meanwhile, (laughs) Melissa, I had $40,000 saved. And I remember my dad, who has never done this, gave me his credit card. It was like, I want you to go to the mall and buy some clothes. And he was like, you can use up to $500, which I was like, what? He never gave us money. I mean, I took the $500, but I had $40,000 saved. And then the next, like the next year I, I bought a condo. Like I used the money for a down payment and to furnish a condo. But the lesson that I learned from then was that I should not be over-sacrificing because I wasn't going anywhere. I wasn't hanging out. I was looking crazy. And to what end? And I really wish that we as women and girls were taught that if you focus on growing wealth, the other things are taken care of by default. If you grow wealth, you could take care of your debt. If you grow wealth, you can start that business. If you grow wealth, you'll have enough to get the things that you want. Being debt-free, if you focus on that, that's all you get. You don't get wealth. You don't get the opportunity to try other things. You know, debt-free is not the same as wealth. That focusing on wealth means by default that you can achieve debt freedom and still have something left over. That is brilliant. That's brilliant. I love that. Debt-free doesn't Mm -hmm. equal wealth. You understand what that is like. There was a point where you lost your job when you were a preschool teacher during the recession. And I believe the figure you quoted was you were $300,000 in debt. It wasn't just the mortgage. Like, you know, it'd be one thing if I was $300,000 in debt and it was all mortgage. No, it -hmm. was credit card debt and it was also student loans. And I remember at one point thinking, I'm going to always be in debt. 
And during that time, I forgot that lesson, uh, that $500 buy yourself some clothes lesson and started to focus all my energy on being debt free. I was putting every last penny that I had toward getting rid of that debt. And I just remember one day looking up, I was living... I was either living in a room at that time. I had, a, I had at one point rented a room because I couldn't afford my, my, my mortgage anymore. So I lost my condo. I was driving a super old car that was breaking down all the time. I was throwing all everything I had into getting debt free. And it just felt like a miserable existence. And so it's almost like this light bulb went on. And I thought, Tiffany, I literally remember saying, how's it going, Tiffany? Like you're putting all of your money toward getting rid of this debt, but the budget needs to, this business that you want to start is not growing. Um, you know, you're not able to go out. What's the last time you've seen your friends? You, you're not doing anything else but this. And I decided then that I was going to create a system to pay down my debt. I just, I used, I ended up finding the snowball method. Yeah. I want to talk to you about that. Yes. Yeah. So I, Dave Ramsey did not invent the snowball method. I do like Dave Ramsey. So Dave Ramsey friends, please. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> so he definitely popularized it. So I use the snowball method and I basically set it and forget it. And then I focus the rest of my energy into my business and growing wealth through my business. And it made all the difference. Do you remember how much debt you had paid off when you made this mindset flip? And I think what I'm asking is, I imagine it would be very, very hard to approach a level of debt that big with this idea of, okay, I'm going to set it and forget it and grow wealth. Like, do you think that paying off part of it gave you enough breathing room to, to be able to engage this mindset flip? Or do you encourage everyone to go into paying down debt with this new mindset? I encourage everyone. I wish I would have started sooner. Mm -hmm. I think maybe close to like 190, right? Or 190 to 200,000 was the mortgage. So we could take that out of the picture because there was a forgiveness program for anyone um, during that post-recession time that, that lost their house. So really we were looking at about a, a little under maybe like $100,000 worth of real debt that I had to like pay. And so that was student loan debt and that was credit card debt. The student loan debt, I had barely made a debt because honestly, I put it in um, forbearance because I was like, look, Sally, mm -hmm. I don't have it. You don't have it. You know, <laughs> I did that too. You know? I totally and so know. I focused <laughs> during that time. The first, like before I made the switch, I really focused on the credit card debt and the credit card debt. I owed about 35 to $40,000. And so I would say I probably paid five to 10,000 of it before I made the switch because I thought to myself, this is going to take a long time. <laughs> and so that's when I made the switch. And I said, why are you focusing on this? Pay the minimum plus use a snowball method, set it, automate it, and focus on something else. You're not late. You're not behind. Let it work itself out. And as you do better, you are, you're able to pay yes. more. It, it's just, if you do that now, you can alleviate this sense of burden and really fly toward living richer. I love that so much. Okay. You, you have to give us a really short kind of summary of the snowball method. You keep saying, you know, set it and forget it. What does that look like in practice? Yeah, so the snowball method looks like this. So I want you to imagine cartoon, your favorite cartoon. Pretend like Bugs Bunny. Well, I don't know if you have millennial audience. They're like, Bugs Bunny? Just pretend like a... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe <laughs> Paw Patrol or something. So imagine them at the top of the hill. And we've seen this scenario many times. The snowball at the top of the hill starts up as small. And they push the little snowball down. As it rolls down the hill, it collects snow and it's huge by the time it gets to the bottom. So just mentally think of that. So the snowball method is that you look at all your all of your debt and you list it from lowest to highest. And then you tell mm -hmm. yourself, I'm going to pay the minimum 
to all of the debt except for the lowest debt owed. We're going to put everything extra that we can toward the smallest debt. So you're going to pay the smallest debt, automate the minimums of the rest. And once you pay off that smallest debt, you are going to roll over to the next smallest debt. So you're going to give the next smallest debt, the first smallest debt's minimum and that extra money you pull from your budget. Let's just say it's a hundred bucks. As you go from debt to debt, you are literally increasing the snowball, meaning increasing the payment because you're collecting minimums along the way. And so you don't actually have to pull more money out of your budget. The beauty of it is, is that as you get to higher limits of of debt that you owe, you have a bigger snowball. Yeah. You know, and so it's just a great system that, you know, once you set it up and you can kind of literally like check on it every time you pay off a debt, you roll it over, pay off a debt, roll it over. You can focus on other things. So are we not worrying about interest then? I've had some people say, well, do we pay attention to the bill that has the smallest balance or the bill that has the highest interest rate? You're saying just look at at the balance owed. Here's the thing. Technically, it's smarter to pay off the debt with the highest interest because that's the most expensive debt. Mm -hmm. Emotionally, it's more effective to pay off the debt with the lowest balance because you're going to get a win very early on. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you next. There is an emotional component to it, a self-confidence component. Yes. Because imagine they're like, okay, I'm going to finally start working out. We all do this. I'm going to finally start working out. So I'm going to run 10 miles tomorrow. Probably not going to happen, right? That's too much. So instead, if you say, I'm actually going to walk around the block that's more realistic. It's an it's an easier win. You should allow yourself. You can stack the chips in your favor. You should win right away. Yes. So that way, you know, once you start getting wins under your belt, you feel motivated to go to the next win and the next win. And then you can increase the difficulty as you go. Like making your goals super difficult from the very beginning is a clear way of, of not being able to stick with it. I love that. I love that you are balancing the practical with the emotional and and like it's almost an act of self-care to give yourself that small win. You talk about focusing on creating wealth and I can see how that would be like an easy go-to for someone who has their own business or for someone who has a side hustle. If you are just, you know, living your day to day, you have a nine to five job, you don't have additional sources of income. What are some ways that people can focus on growing wealth? There are two key ways to focus on growing wealth. One, you have to make more. And two, you have to grow it. If you are working a nine to five, it is more than possible to to make more, but also to grow on the side. So let's just say you don't have the capacity to take on a side job or do anything on the side. Then you have to figure out for yourself, how do I squeeze money from the money I am making to set aside for savings, debt pay down, and investing? Now, if you do have some extra time, the best way to make the most amount of money most efficiently is to either do something that you have a degree in because they'll pay you more or mm-hmm. do something that you're, that's adjacent to what you're already doing. So when I was a preschool teacher, I tutored and I babysat. Because who doesn't want a preschool teacher tutoring and babysitting your kids, you know, because you're like, I've already got all of my, my shots, you know, yeah, <laughs> and credentials and like, you're not going to freak out if my kid has a tantrum. Exactly. And so yeah. it, it allowed me to, to charge more because when I posted like, Hey, babysitting or, or tutoring, then people, and I had my master's in education. So people were like, okay, I definitely am willing to pay you more, Tiffany, because you're qualified. And so that allowed me, it didn't take up a whole lot of extra time, but, and it was very flexible. So it allowed me to make additional income. So whether you make more or whether you save more, that part is how that's up to you. The part that if you want to grow wealth, that is not up to you is that you have to grow it because you cannot save your way typically to wealth. 
You have to multiply your wealth through investing. And so I tell people like, so this is a preschool teacher in me, visualize an acorn. That is your principle. That is the seed that you are going to save as many seeds as you can every single paycheck. And then those seeds you're going to put away. Most people take seeds and they eat all of them every single month. But if you're smart, you will set aside ideally 20 to 10% of your, of your seeds. And then you're going to put them up. And at first, the seeds seem deceptive. Like, oh, I can't possibly save a million seeds. I want to have a million dollars. And you're right. It is difficult to save a million seeds. But the magic of seeds are is that after a while, if you take those seeds that you have and then you plant them, which is investing, and then you water them, you make sure they get enough sunlight. So that is your due diligence. Water and sunlight is your due diligence. Are you taking classes? Do you have a financial planner if you so need one? Do you have a financial advisor? Are you trying to learn how to grow your money? So that's the water and the sunlight. And then after a while, acorn seeds yield acorn trees. And so that's awesome. So now your your initial seed, your principal is growing. And then those acorn trees grow acorns. And so all of a sudden you realize that from one seed, you can grow hundreds of acorns. And that's truly what can happen with your money, that from one dollar, you can spend one dollar or you can invest one dollar and yield ten dollars. That's the only way truly to grow wealth, whether it's you can invest in real estate, you might do stocks, you might invest in businesses, whatever that looks like to grow wealth, you have to invest. That makes complete sense. I love the acorn analogy. How important in all of this process is having a really good budget? And what are some common mistakes that you see people making with respect to their budgets? Your budget is your baby. Just a budget, honestly, is essential. Folks think if you have a lot of money that you don't have to adhere to, but in some way, shape or form, you don't have to necessarily be as strict, but there should be some sort of plan for your money. A budget is just a physical plan for your money that you can literally see and track. And so once you have mm-hmm. that, that's, that's important. And some, here's some misconceptions that your budget is there to tell you no. No, your budget is your say yes plan. I wish you could see me. I have like the clenched fist. Yeah. I'm like, say yes. And I'm, sh- I'm like shaking them in the air. I'm such a visual. <laughs> your budget is your say yes plan. It is there to say, yes, Tiffany, you can go on vacation if you relook uh, over your, your cable. Do you really watch TV like that? I don't. So if I cut cable at 200 bucks a month for six months, that's, you know, $1,200. Hello, Jamaica, let's go, you know? And so your budget is there to say yes. It's, it's there to help you navigate to your yes, uh, but you're going to have to make decisions and choices. And it doesn't mean living less of a life because I never watched TV and yet I did have a $200 cable bill, but now I travel all the time. And I use that money to do that. So I would say that's the biggest misconception. Another misconception that it's hard to maintain a budget. No, because automation is the new discipline. I don't have to maintain my budget. You know, I already have a bills account. I have two main checking accounts. One, I call my deposit account. That's where the money that's earned in the household is deposited. And then we have a separate checking account that we call our bills account. And so every pay period, a certain amount of money based upon what bills we, we know that we're going to owe. So let's just say our bills for the month are like $5,000. So we might say, go okay, every pay period, 2500 is transferred to the bills account. And then the bills account has been instructed to pay the bills automatically. Mm-hmm. That's it. 
And so you, yeah. staying, sticking to a budget doesn't have to be difficult because the money lands automatically if you have direct deposit. And the transfer from deposit account to bills account can also be an automated transfer. And then, you know, you pay your bills automatically. So those two things that budgets tell you no and budgets are hard to stick to, that's the lie. <laughs> yes. And that segues so perfectly into the next kind of topic. So many people said to me, how do I get on the same page as my partner about finances? And I think it goes back to money is shameful. Yeah. And we don't want to talk about things like how much money we owe or that we like spending X amount of money on shoes or that we spent, you know, our credit card bills are this. Is a budget a good place to start looking at these issues and, and getting on the same page? Not necessarily. So I am, this is two years. We'll be married two years, my husband and I. And before that, we were together for four years. So altogether, six years together. And I started to open the door to a budget like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And he was like, mm, no. <laughs> 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 I'm an adult. I have my own ways. Leave me alone when it comes to money. Oh, yes. yes. So I call my husband Superman. So I was like, oh my gosh, how do I get Superman on board? And so I was like, okay. So I tried bossing him around and he was like, yeah, no. And what I realized is I had to find something that he already believed. Yes, this is true. And so um, Superman has a daughter, my bonus baby. She's 12 now. And um, Supergirl, which is like her nickname that I use. <laughs> so Supergirl, it was the one thing that there's never a no when it comes to her. So he would buy all of these different things, like all these different baby dolls whenever we would go out. Her Christmas tree looked like like he had seven children instead of just this one. And, um, and I remember thinking, if I can get him on a page to agree to financial responsibility for Supergirl, we can work from there. And I did. So one Christmas, he had spent a lot of money. And I said, wow, what a lucky little girl. And I said, so our, the same amount of money we spent on presents, we're also depositing that right into her savings account. And he was looking at me like, wait, what? I was like, well, I'm going to deposit money into her savings account. And I mean, you don't have to, but I mean, it would be not, no, of course I want to deposit money into my daughter's savings account. So that started the shift because it was like, wait, like what's more important? My daughter's everything, but am I really making the right choices in how I'm spending money on her? So that was the common denominator. We found a common ground that I can be responsible when it comes to Supergirl. And then from there, I started to edge in other things like, okay, I, I travel a lot. I love to go on vacation. I'm going to go on vacation. Do you want to go? I do. Do you have any money to go? I don't. Well, then I will see you next Friday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so this is when we were dating. And so he was like, that is not what I expected. <laughs> right? So when we were dating, he was like, oh, I want to travel too. So I was like, well, I can show you how to open up an online only savings account. So he opened up a savings account and he started putting money in automatically from his paycheck. He had it split. Like you can go to your job typically and they'll let you split to like three or four times. Your, your paycheck. So he started doing that. But do you see with Supergirl, then vacations, then it became, we need to save for the wedding. And then it became, let's save for the house. And then it's like, when we, when we bought the house, that's what really triggered the, I'm totally on board, but he wasn't fully on board. I had to find a common denominator and just add things on that I knew would be good for the family, but that he could agree to as well. And now, I mean, sometimes he's, he's more frugal than I am now. 
I'm like, babe, I think, you know, I think yeah. we can, I think we can get cheese on the burger. I think we can, we got that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get the extra yes. avocado. Okay. It's going to be funny. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So I love the idea of finding common ground and opening up a conversation around that. I talk to people a lot about that with the Whole30. Find like a common in, something where you can easily relate. Is it also helpful if one partner just decides to like go first and start talking about their finances? If you're not married yet, you might not know how much debt your partner has, how much money they make in their job, where they spend their money. Would it be a good idea just to start talking about that? Like, it seems kind of like a no brainer, but I don't think we're. Yeah, doing no, it. for sure. I think that somehow, sometimes the best way to get someone to open up is to open up, like you said, first. And I definitely was like, oh, my credit score went down 10 points. It was a, a 740 and now it's a 730. Let me see why. So normalizing financial conversation is everything. I didn't grow up having hangups about talking about money. My parents talked about it with us when we were four. So, you know, so, but I realized with him that wasn't so. So I remember the first time, because I happened to mention my credit score, because I think I was checking it on like one of those apps. And he, I was like, I looked at him and we were still dating. I was like, what's your credit score? He looked at me like I, you know, I asked him like, yeah, what kind of underwear he had on or something. And I was like, and he was like, uh, I don't know. I was like, well, I have this free app. Let's check. And he was like, um, <laughs> and so I realized that how not normal that seemed, but we checked and honestly, it wasn't that great, but there also wasn't judgment. That's the reason why people are afraid. Yeah. I was like, oh, at the time it was like a 630. And I was like, oh, this is not that great. But guess what? Like, so I started asking him questions like, do you make on-time bill payments? And I could see there from the app that like, yes, he did. And I was like, well, what else, you know, do you owe any debt? And um, he didn't have, he didn't have any debt except for he had a, a car note, but he wasn't late. And I said, um, he said, you know, I do have one credit card. It's a secured card. The limit is $500 and my balance is like 450. And I said, well, why is the balance so high? He was like, well, I ran it up on purpose so I could show that I can make monthly payments. And I said, who, who told you to do that? (laughs) (laughs) That's why, because you're almost maxed out that if you utilize more than 30% of your credit card limit, you are dramatically affecting your score. So one third of your whole scores is how much of your limit is a balance basically. And so I said, well, do you have the 450 to pay it off? He said, yes. So he did. And in, in three months, his credit score went from a, a 630 to a 750, which is the beginning of perfect credit. Yeah. yeah. And then he put a ring on it. I was like, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Heck yeah. I love that. So yeah, we have to normalize these conversations. If, and I think a lot of, you know, Brene Brown talks about shame kind of hiding in the dark. And I think opening up the door to this conversation, this is my credit score. It's not awesome. Do you want to work yes. on improving it together? Or this is how much debt I owe. These are the payments I'm making. What do you think about this strategy is a really great way, not only to get on the same page with your partner, but also to like relieve the burden on yourself. So you realize that it's not this like deep, dark, ugly secret. It's just finances. Yes, exactly. And so it's really the reaction. It's like telling your kids, right? You could tell me anything and they tell you something, you totally freak out. So now what you're really, right. it's like you're saying I could tell you anything, but really in actuality, you're proving to me that I cannot. And so are you providing a safe space for your partner to tell you like, oh, the credit card, I rented up $10,000. Yeah. Are you like, oh my gosh, that's a, or are you like, okay, well, what happened? Yeah. Okay. So what do we do now? You know what I mean? So it's yes. the difference between what I call my dad and my mom. So I'm, my dad, Arandi, he is the typical, like, you know, something goes wrong when we were kids. And we, I spilled milk. Oh my goodness. You spilled milk. We don't, we don't have milk money. There's so many kids in this house. You guys have to be more responsible, you know, and you're like, oh, I'm sorry. Right. And my mom doesn't say anything. She gets a paper towel. 
And so I remember yeah. thinking, because I'm more like my dad in temperament, like, oh my good, but I work really hard to be a paper towel person. I get it. That's a tongue twister, right? So, <laughs> so like, if you can be a paper towel person, like something is wrong, I go straight to solution. Okay, let's get this paper towel because you're going to get a paper towel anyway. Yes. So all of that, you spill the milk and everything. Once my dad is done, guess what he ends up doing? Getting a paper towel. Yes. So, so let's get straight to it. So ask yeah. yourself in your life, how can you be a paper towel person, especially as it relates to your spouse? Yes. I love it. I'm going to call it paper towel people from now on. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. So at the end of every episode, what's one piece of advice you can give to someone who's ready to do this thing? One piece of advice I would give to someone is to start today, start now. So whatever that is, whatever that looks like to start now that nothing breeds success faster than action. The problem is happening now. Take action now. So if you're listening now, do something now. Is the YouTube video? Is it calling your girlfriend to say, let's start a budget together? I have these, these things called my Live Richer Challenges. They're completely free. There's five of them. They're, they're basically a month long free step by step course on either net worth, um, growing it. Um, fixing your credit, saving more, the fundamentals, buying a house. Is it, look, me and my coworkers are going to sign up for the credit edition of the Live Richer Challenge. Like what action are you going to take today? Are you going to write down your budget on a piece of paper? Are you going to open up the bills account? Are you going to go online and Google best online bank for savings and find the bank and open it? Like I use this bank called Ally Bank and it takes seven minutes to open up a savings account online. That's it. And so literally, after listening to this, you can take action that can totally transform your life right now. So my best piece of advice, it doesn't have to be perfect, doesn't have to be clean, doesn't have to be neat, but does have to be taken, and that is action. Yeah, I am like fist pumping right yeah. now. I am ready to call my financial advisor. We're going to do the paperwork we talked about. <laughs> Good. I am excited. Tiffany, the budget nista, where can people find you and hear more? Because I know they're going to want to. Well, I am the budget nista on everything. So that's Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and I'm the budget nista.com. And also too, I actually have a uh, online school that is really awesome. And that's really where I take um, personal finance to the next level for women who are looking to invest, purchase homes, start businesses. And that is the live richer Academy. So you can find me there too. I can't wait. Thank you so much for helping us all find financial freedom and do the thing. Thanks so much, Tiffany. Thank you, Melissa. Thanks for joining me today on Do The Thing. You can continue the conversation with me at Melissa underscore Hartwig on Instagram and visit Whole30.com slash podcast for today's show notes and bonus content. If you have a question for Dear Melissa or a topic idea for the show, leave me a voicemail at 321-209-1480. Do the Thing is part of the Onward Project, a family of podcasts brought together by Gretchen Rubin, all about how to make your life better. Check out the other Onward Project podcasts, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, Side Hustle School, and Happier in Hollywood. Finally, before you leave, please subscribe, leave a review, and invite your friends to do the thing. See you next week. From the Onward Project.